2 Kings tonight, chapter number 19, and I'll not read the entire chapter, but I want to read just enough verses to give you a jest of what is before us tonight. and Bring the message that I feel like that God has put upon my heart, not only for this meeting, but for such a time as this. Our nation's in trouble tonight. Our nation is in trouble tonight. Somebody asked me what kind of politicians have we got. We got the best that money can buy. We got the best that money can buy. And uh, I'm a little sore coming from Georgia. Our governor last week really did us in. We tried to pass a bill like you guys did. It passed both houses overwhelmingly. And our born-again Christian Southern Baptist Governor vetoed it, but the battle ain't over yet, and our nation is in trouble. I mean, it's pretty bad when you've got to pass a law for a man and a woman to go to the right bathroom. Now, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. One of these rednecks from the mountains is going to go to Charlotte and whoop him somebody. And not only that, but our churches... And I hope you understand that every church in America is not like Calvary Baptist. I'm thrilled to see all these young people here tonight. I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about all these regular young people. And it thrills me, Brother Chris. How many churches do you and I go in to preach revivals and we are the youngest people there? Your pastor will turn 50 here in a day or two and I'm already 53, be 54 in a little bit. And when I go into a church and I'm the youngest preacher there, I'm the youngest person there, brother, we need revival. And I'm tired of hearing about old-time religion doesn't work. The only places where it doesn't work are those who are not trying it. And I've just got a message on my heart, and I believe it's for such a time as this. And if we've ever needed to pray, it's now. If we've ever needed God, it's now. And I'm glad that God is still sovereign. God is still omnipotent. God is still able. Second Kings tonight, chapter number 19, begin reading in verse number 14. Second Kings 19, verse 14, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all of the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which had sent him to reproach the living God. Notice verse number 19. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee. And I want you to repeat this line out loud with me. Save thou us. Say it with me again. Save thou us. Save thou us out of his hand, that all of the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Look what he says now in verse number 35. And it came to pass that night. Oh, it may have been at night, but God was still answering prayer. It may have been a time of darkness, but God was still moving on behalf of his children. And I'm glad the God of the day, hallelujah, is the God of the night. Glory. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and eighty-five thousand. And the Bible said, And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. 
I'm interested tonight in a little phrase in verse number 19. It was the prayer of King Hezekiah. Save thou us. And the Lord being a helper, I want to preach tonight on a prayer that saved a nation. A prayer that saved a nation. I'm glad tonight if God heard the prayer of one man and saved that nation, that I believe God can hear the prayer of many women and boys and girls in this room tonight and save our nation. I love the young man that's before us tonight, King Hezekiah. He is 25 years old when he comes to the throne. And what I love about this man is this. He arose above his raising. He arose above his genealogy. He rose above his father. Now his father was a rascal. His father was a heathen. His father was a very, very, very wicked man. But I'm telling you tonight, you can get over who you're kin to. And just because your daddy was a crook, you don't have to be one. Just because your uncle was a hellion, you don't have to be one. And he rose above his genealogy. And God used this young man to bring a measure of revival and restoration to the nation of Israel. He tore down the groves. He tore down the idols and closed down the heathen temples. And the Bible said that this young man did that which is right in the sight of God. Oh, for leaders tonight that would be like Hezekiah to recognize that God is the only God, the living true God, and there is no other God. And when this man began to do right and God began to bless him, hell got mad. And the devil rose up against this man and his kingdom and did everything that he could to annihilate them and wipe them off of the face of the earth. Can I say tonight, the devil has not changed. If you think the devil is going to sit back and watch your church grow, reach your city, touch the world with the gospel, and not do anything about it. All of us are mistaken tonight. Hell doesn't like it when God's people stomp on their territory. And I believe tonight of God, I believe tonight the devil hates America like he has never hated us before. Someone said, well, why would the devil hate America? I'll tell you why tonight, because there's never been a nation in the history of the world that has done more to spread the gospel than this nation in which we're living in tonight. There's never been a nation in the history of the world that has done more for the common good of man than the United States of America. You let a tsunami hit somewhere, you let an earthquake hit somewhere, you let a typhoon hit somewhere, who's the first one there? to feed them and give them water and give them clothes. We have blessed people all over this world that hate our guts to this day in which we live. There's never been a nation that has been a friend of Israel any more than the United States of America. And I boldly say this tonight, if we ever want to sign our death warrant, stand against Israel. I never thought we would have a president in the United States of America that would not meet with the prime minister of the nation of Israel. I don't know about you, but it's sad when you live in a country when you got more respect for the prime minister of another country than you do the one in which you have to pay the taxes to. And I believe the devil hates America like he's never hated us before. I was in a mission conference not long ago and I heard a missionary just bad-mouthing America and bad-mouthing our country. And I'm telling you, there's never been a nation 
that has sent more missionaries and sent more money to the foreign field than the United States of America. And by the way, I'm glad to call it my home. I'm glad I was born here. I'm glad that I live here. And I want to tell you, Satan tonight realizes if he can destroy America, he'll be be far down the road and hindering the gospel and reaching the world. He knows if he can get America out of the way that Israel will not have an ally. I mean, the devil hates us tonight. And the pressure is on like it's never been before. This is an election year. And every stinking one of them has made a three-ring circus out of it. And I don't believe we've ever been in such uncharted waters before. But I found this out through studying the Bible. Man's extremity is nothing more than an opportunity for God to roll up his sleeves, amen, and bear his holy arm. And if you'll study the Bible, it's been dark on God's people before. The war clouds have hung low on God's people before. And the sands of time have stacked up against God's people before. But I'm glad the God that has moved on our behalf in yesterday is the same God that is able to move on our behalf in this day in which we live. And here's a young man that got hungry. Here's a young man that got thirsty. Here's a young man that got an aspiration to get a hold of God. And he got a hold of God and God got a hold of him and God got a hold of them. And I'm telling you tonight, there's somebody in this room tonight that can get a hold of God and God can get a hold of us but it's a prayer that saved a nation. In our text tonight, let me give you three things that happens before us. Number one, I want you to see the threat from the enemy. The threat from the enemy. The enemy raises up its head and they write a letter and they send it to the king, Hezekiah. Man, he gets one of those nasty, threatening letters in the mail. Most of us here tonight that are pastors, we have gotten some of those letters, some of those threatening letters, some of those wonderful words of encouragement. But one thing about this letter, the guy that wrote it had the guts enough to sign it. I mean, Sennacherib, the wicked king, He writes writes Hezekiah and he gives him a threat. And let me say three things tonight about that threat. Number one, it was a real threat. This guy is not playing. He is after Israel and he's coming after them with everything that he's got. And may I say tonight, the threat that opposes you and I as the people of God tonight, it is a real threat. The enemy is not playing tonight. They're not pulling wool over our eyes tonight. They mean what they say. And I I hope tonight that you really don't believe the bumper sticker that's on these weirdos' cars. They want to coexist. No, they don't want to coexist. They don't want to co-inhabitate. They want to dominate. They want to control. They want to shut up your preacher. They want to close down your church. They want you to pay your taxes and keep your mouth shut. The threat is real. It seems like everybody in America tonight has free speech but an old-fashioned Christian. Boy, if you're an old-fashioned Christian, you just shut up and be quiet. But it's not time to shut up and be quiet. It's time to get out of the closet and lift our voice and take our stand and stand for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross, and lift high his royal banner, for it must not suffer long. The threat is real. Let me say this tonight about that threat. It was a repeated threat. It was made over and over and over again. 
I mean, it's like a broken record. We're coming after you. We're coming after you. We're coming after you. That threat, that, that threat said something like this. We're going to destroy your land. We're going to destroy your blessings. We're going to destroy your children. We're going to enslave your sons and your daughters. We're coming after your foundation. We're coming after your legacy. We're coming after your heritage. We're going to annihilate you. We're going to wipe you off of the face of the earth. And I'm telling you tonight, the threat that's facing our nation and our young people is a repeated threat. They want the minds of the next generation. They want the hearts of the next generation. They want to spill the blood of the next generation. Why, in order to do that, they're trying to rewrite history. They're trying to erase God from our mind. They're trying to take away from us everything that's sane and holy and governs our behavior. I mean, the threat is repeated. I've heard their voice. I've heard their woes. I've heard what they got to say. And we better realize tonight they mean business and we need to mean business. It is a real threat. It is a repeated threat. But can I say in the background of this text, it is a religious threat. When you just read it, it sounds like a battle between Hezekiah and Sennacherib. When you read it on the surface, it looks like it's the battle between one king and another king. But ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you, it is a whole lot deeper than that. They're not just going after the temple. They're not just going after the walls. They're going after their faith in the man of God and their faith in the house of God and their faith in the person of God. It is a religious threat. They don't want them to worship Jehovah God. They don't want them to praise Jehovah God. They want them to bow down to the false gods of their society. It's a threat for the very foundation of their faith. And you Listen to Brother Joe tonight. They want more than our factories. They want more than our money. They want more than our jobs. They want our preachers. They want our churches. They want our heritage. They want our legacy. They want to wipe God out of our mind. They want us to worship a system. They want us to worship a man. They want us to worship a, a government. But I'm here to tell you tonight, there's only one that deserves our allegiance and our worship and our praise and our service and his name is Jesus. It is a religious threat. Don't you let the politicians pull the wool over your eyes. It is a religious threat. There is a difference between Christianity and the stuff they're perpetrating on the minds of our young people. They train their children to strap on themselves bombs and go to innocent places and designate, designate those bombs and take innocent life. You know what we train our young people to do? To strap on a King James Bible and get on an airplane somewhere and fly thousands of miles and go to little villages and towns and don't designate a bomb but preach the gospel and give the gospel and throw out the lifeline there is a difference. They perpetuate hate. We perpetuate love. They perpetuate damnation. We preach salvation. There is a difference. And I want to tell every young person under the sound of my voice tonight, there is one faith. There is one Lord. There is one baptism. There is one Savior. There is one way. There is one truth. There is one God. There is one potentate. There is one Almighty. And His name is Jesus. It's a threat like they've never been before. They say, I'll tell you what we'll do. You preach what you preach and say what you say and we'll take away your tax exemption. We'll take away your freedom of speech. I'll ask you something tonight. If they're all that comfortable with what they're doing, why are they so tore up about it? If they were all that comfortable with what they're doing, they wouldn't be so defensive about it. You can make fun of me being a Baptist and I'm gonna say you're exactly right. You can make fun of me being a Christian, I'm gonna say you're exactly right. 
You can make fun of me being a flag-waving American. And I'll say you're exactly right because I'm comfortable at all three of those. And evidently their own conscience condemns them because you say one word that kind of looks down at what they do. Well, they get all mad. They get all defensive. And what they're trying to tell you in their heart, they know they're wrong. In their heart, they know they don't have a leg to stand on. But they've not turned their back on this church. They've not turned their back on Christopher Columbus. They've not turned their back on American history. They've turned their back on light, on truth, on holiness, on the Bible, and on God. And brother, the threat is more real than it's ever been. I feel sorry for little children in our society. There's a crowd biologically can't even have any. You know, everybody got mad at Chick-fil-A because of their stand for the family. Well, you know, their slogan is eat more chicken, right? Well, if you do that, you better have a hen and a rooster, baby. If you didn't understand that, Brother Crabtree, and interpret this message over here to my left. I feel sorry for the little children, man, as a crowd biologically can't even have any. And then there's another crowd that wants to kill them before they're ever born. And you listen to me tonight, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent or whatever, there is no way you can be sane and scriptural and believe that abortion is right. I don't want to hear nobody preach the Bible, teach the Bible that stands for abortion. Man, that is murder. You know I'm telling it right. That little baby in the womb of a mother is not a choice. It is not a statistic. It is not a voting right. It is a child that was created in the image of God. And you better be glad your mama didn't have one. You got a crowd that can't even have them. Then you got another crowd that believes in killing them before they're ever born. And then worse than that, you got another crowd that don't want to teach them anything once they get here. We're not even bold enough to say, you be boy and you be girl. You be Tarzan, you be Jane. Come on now, you know I'm telling it right. Oh, God, don't take them to no church and let no preacher yell at them. Oh, Lord, God, don't take them to old-fashioned church and let some preacher traumatize them. They don't have any problem plopping them down in front of a television and all kind of junk and hell is put in their heart and put in their mind. How do you this tonight, an old-fashioned preacher that loves your family and loves your children? He will not traumatize them any worse than Britney Spears and MTV and all that other mess you let them listen to. Brother, the thread is real like it's never been before. We'll shut you up. We'll back you down. We'll intimidate you. Man, the thread is real. My God, they want our children. They want their minds. They want their purity. They want their life. And there's a system at work in this world tonight. They would close every church. They would silence every obstacle. They would would silence the voice of every preacher. And I mean the thread is real and it's old like it's never been. I mean the war clouds are hanging low. I mean buddy judgment is about to come. We've never been this far. We've never been in waters like this before. I mean the educational system and the entertainment world and even the sports world and preachers sad to say even the organized religious world is away from God and away from Bible. One of the hearts and the minds of our people. But I've read the last chapter and there is a God that in the in extremity in the in the time of necessity in the time of need can hear our prayer and turn his face towards us and bow his ear before us my God I'm glad there's a God in the glory world that can hear and answer our prayer and move in our behalf somebody needs to pray I see the threat from the enemy. Oh, but number two, here's why I want to preach a while. I want you to see the travail with the eternal. The travail with the eternal. They come up there and say, Hezekiah, here is the bad report. 
And I see him as he thumbs through that letter. I see hot talk tears as it drops down on that letter. I see Hezekiah fold that letter and it starts to walk. And I see somebody say, hey, King Hezekiah, where are you going? And I hear as he turns and says, I'm going to church. Well, that's what they don't want you to do. He said, I don't know of any other place to go. I'm going to church. He says, I'm going to the house of the Lord. The King James uses an interesting phrase. It said he went up, he went up to the house of the Lord. That temple was built on that holy mount. He's going to the mountain. 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 My soul, what do you think the psalmist meant when he said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills which cometh my help, my help coming from the Lord. He said, you know what I'm going? I'm going to that holy mountain. I'm going up to the hill. I'm going up to the house of God. He's not just going to the house of God. He's going to the God of the house. He's not just going to the house of God. He's going to the God of the house. I enjoyed that so much, I'm gonna say that again. He's not just going to the house of God. He's going to the God of the house. Someone said what we're gonna do in times like these with the threat of the enemy. I'll turn my steps aside and I'll lift my eyes toward the hill and I'm going to where God dwells. I'm going to where God hears. I'm going to where I've heard from God before. The politicians can't help us and religion can't help us and the entertainment world can't help us but there's a God that's in the house of God that is right for what's wrong in our lives let's go to God and I love the words of the King James in this passage he went up to the house of the Lord and the Bible said he took that letter and he spread it before the Lord and he read it. He's telling God on them. He's telling God on them. And I love his honesty. Verse 12 and 13, he said, God, this is what the enemy said. God, it's true. They've set out to get us. It's true. They've blasphemed your name. God, it is true that they have set up, I call them, their little g-gods against my big g-god. Lord, it's true, it's true, it's true. He said, but Lord, I'm hanging my hat on this. You're God and you're God alone. And he said, Lord, I'm hanging my hat on this. There's no other God like you. And God, I'm hanging my hat on this. You made it all. You made the heavens. You made the earth. You're greater than all the lords. You're greater than all the kings. You're greater than all of the polity. Now, I just want to say this tonight. The Supreme Court thinks they are supreme, but there is a judge. They've got to bow down to one day, and he cannot be bought, intimidated, impeached, or voted out. And then I got a hold of this, and I saw this while I was driving. And man, there are some things you don't need to see when you're operating a motor vehicle. I can hardly drive good anyway. And boy, when I saw this, whoop! Son, I cleaned out two ditches. I took down seven rows of corn, tore up some little old lady's flower garden. Notice what he said to King James. He said, Lord... I'm talking to the one, when I read this, I lost, man. He said, I'm talking to the one 
that dwells between the cherubims. He said, I'm hanging my hat on the one that dwells between the cherubims. Whoop! He said, I'm calling on the one that dwells between the cherubims. You say, what's that got to do with us? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Notice where he's at. He's on the temple mount. He's up there at the temple. And you know there's three compartments. There's the outer court. And then there's that holy place where you got the lampstand and the table of bread and the altar of incense. But oh, in the back is that 15 by 15 called the Holy of Holies. And in that Holy of Holies is one article of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant that represents the manifested presence of God. On top of that Ark of the Covenant is a golden lid called the mercy seat. Lord have mercy. On the day of atonement, there is red, innocent, shed, sacrificial blood running down the side of that mercy seat. And then on top of that blood, there were two cherubims, one on one side and one on the other that looked down on the blood and the mercy and the presence and the pardon and the forgiveness of Almighty God. Oh, but there was something that was greater than that ark. There's something greater than that mercy seat. There's something greater than them cherubims. Out of heaven, on top of that blood sacrifice, was the Shekinah cloud, the Shekinah glory of God. And that Shekinah glory of God will dwell between the cherubims. Now watch this. There is a veil that separates us from him there. Now Hezekiah's a good man. He's a powerful man. But he's a king. He's not a priest. So he has to stand outside on this side of the veil. But my God, youngins, he knows what's on the inside. He knows what's on the other side. He knows there's the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. You know what he's doing? He's hanging his prayer on the God that dwells with his people. He is hanging his prayer on the God that dwells with his people. He is hanging the hope of the survival of his nation on a God that is present, a God that is here a God that is among us. He is hanging his prayer and the hope of his nation on a God that is kind, a God that is forgiving, a God that is merciful. He is hanging his prayer on the blood, the power of the blood, the atonement of the blood, the authority of the blood. He is hanging his survival on the merits of the blood and he's hanging his prayer on the glory of God, the omnipotence of God, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the awesomeness of God. He said, there is a God that is present. There is a God that is merciful. There is a God that is atoning. There is a God who is majestic, who is sovereign, who is omnipotent, who is righteous. I'm praying to that God, but he's still standing on this side. He's enjoying it, but he's still standing on this side. But can I say, we got one up on Hezekiah. We got one up on Hezekiah. You say, a hand of world. Have we got one up on Hezekiah? Well, he was standing outside, just thinking about getting inside. But hallelujah, glory to God. Whoop! That day at Calvary when the sacrifice shed his precious blood and he cried like a champion. It is finished. That cry went off of that cross and down that hillside and crossed the brook Cherith and went up on the other side of the temple mount and took that veil and rent it from top to bottom. And now we don't stand on the outside, but good God Almighty, we walk inside and stand inside and come boldly before the throne of grace. 
We're standing in his presence on holy ground. His mercy, his blood, his atonement, whoop, his glory. We stand in there where God stands. We come boldly into the throne of grace. Whoo! That'll make a Methodist keep the back end of his choir bound. And he's standing on the outside saying, I'm hanging the survival of my people on the presence of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and the glory of God. And I want to tell you there's not a problem in America that the presence of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and the glory of God cannot take care of. He's standing outside, but he's praying through. I just gotta ask you one more time. Lord, have mercy, youngins, if God can hear the prayer of a man that's standing on the outside, on the other side of Calvary. Lord, have mercy. How much more? How much more? Hallelujah. How much more? How much more? Lord, I got a piece of preach about this big and I'm trying to get it out, but it's getting bigger than me. Lord God, I think I got to walk around a little while. If God can hear the prayer of a man on the outside, way on the other side of Calvary, 500 years before Jesus was ever born, how much more would God hear our prayer? My God Almighty, on this side of Calvary, on this side of Pentecost, that's not standing outside looking in, but we're in there where God is. We're in there with God is. We've got access and God's presence and God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's glory can still meet our needs tonight. You know what? We need to pray for our children. God, let them experience your presence. You know what? We need to pray for the next generation. God, in wrath, remember mercy. And God, I'm not asking you this based on the fact I'm a good Christian because sometimes I'm not and sometimes you're not either. But we base our prayer on the authority, hallelujah, of the sinless, spotless, Shed, sacrificial, substitutional, saving, sure, sweet, satisfying, whoop, blood of the Lamb of God. And I want to tell you the glory of God is still real and the glory of God is still great. You say, how do you know? Because bless God, there's a cloud about to thunder in my own heart. You say, what is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You mean talking about one up on Hezekiah? Actually, we got two up on Hezekiah. He had to stand outside and think about getting in. Praise God, we walk in. And you know what else? Oh, Lord, God walked in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What a Gibson, hallelujah, hey. Oh, I was preaching on the tabernacle one night and one of our young converts came to me and said, Brother Arthur, he's preaching on that tabernacle. said, it just amazes me that there would be a building so beautiful and a building so uniquely put together that God Almighty would live in it. I said, if you think that's something, let me give you one better than that. I'm not, I am kind of excited that there's a building beautiful enough for God to live in it. That is pretty cool, brother. I'll need one better than that. Amen. I know some people that are so forgiven and so redeemed and so saved. The God that lived in that building, hallelujah, he lives in us. He lives in our hearts. I'm telling you, he's still a mighty God, a great God, an awesome God, and he still answers prayer. The threat from the enemy. Number two, the travail with the eternal And number three, notice the triumph that they experienced. 
God moved on their behalf. You know what saved Israel that night? Not the minds and the thinking of the smart people. You know what saved Israel that night? Not their military power or the military ability. Can I run one rabbit if I hurry? If I was a president, I'd like to make one executive order. And wouldn't that be fair? Because Obama's made 9,999 of them. And my first executive order would be to go to North Korea and get that little feller that looks like, bless God, somebody took a weed eater to the side of his head and pop him upside the head with something and say, who do you think you are? Every time I see that little fella, it reminds me of a little chihuahua barking at a Doberman pincher. Now, I don't have dogs, but if I was going to feed and have one, I believe I'd have one whose bark was bigger than its bite. I don't think I'd have one that looks like a rat on steroids. Can I get a witness right there? Oh, I didn't make somebody mad now for sure. That little old weasel out there threatening our nation and, and threatening our allies and threatening Israel. But I'll tell you something, brother, what saved Israel that night? It was not the plans and the wisdom of their leaders. It was not the swords and the spears of their army. You write this word down tonight. What saved Israel that night? Divine intervention. Divine intervention. Divine intervention. You say America's too far gone. It may be too far gone for the Republicans. It may be too far gone for the Democrats. But there's divine intervention. The sovereign God. The present God. The mighty God. The awesome God. He can still do what we cannot do. What did Hezekiah do after he went to church and prayed to God? He went home and went to sleep. That's what he did. He went home and went to sleep. I heard Billy Kelly say one time that God says he never sleeps or slumbers. So Billy Kelly said, God, if you're going to stay up all night, I don't need to. And he meant that because he slept at the house. He slept in the car. And he slept at church while I was preaching on the platform. Tom Hayes asked him one night after church. He said, Brother Billy, why do you sleep when I preach? He said, I trust you, boy. I trust you. They think I'm kidding them. Hey, Hezekiah went to God. He went to church. He went to prayer. And then he went home and went to bed. And he went to sleep. And the Bible said that night, whoo, while he was asleep, God, hallelujah, the angel of the Lord. You say, who is that? Take a guess. I know one thing, old Joshua run into him one day by the walls of Jericho, and he said, are you for us or for them? He said, I didn't come to choose sides, I came to take over. I'm the captain of the Lord's host. Lot run into him. That night when he got him by the hand and led him out of Sodom, before the fire failed. Daniel ran into him when he put a padlock on them jaws of them lions. I like what Vance Abner said. You know why them lions wouldn't eat Daniel? There wasn't nothing to them but gristle and backbone. Say amen right there. The Hebrew children run up against him that night and so did old King Nebuchadnezzar because he looked down in that fiery furnace and he rubbed his old politicking eyes and said, boys, I believe I got vision problems. Didn't we throw in three? Yeah, king. He said something done happened down there in the fire. I see four. And I tell you, that fourth one, hmm. I'm a heathen, but I know who that, 
I'm a heathen, but I, whoop, I'm a, whoop, I'm a, I'm a heathen, but I know who that, whoo, he said, I know who that is. The form of the form is like to the Son of God. And that same one, oh, the Bible said that God sent out of heaven and that night, and that night, that night, he divinely intervened and Hezekiah and Israel lived to see another day. And the God that saved Joshua, and the God that saved Daniel, the God that saved the Hebrew children and the God that saved Hezekiah is the same God today that he always has been. And he can do it. He can do it again. You say, well, Brother Joe, that's a pretty good history lesson from the Bible, but has God done anything like that, you know, in the modern day? I'm glad you asked. Go home tonight and Google some World War II stuff and study the Battle of Dunkirk. Now, if you read the modern version of it, they leave something out. But the real story is this. Nearly all of the Allied forces were trapped on a little peninsula called Dunkirk. That evil man by the name of Hitler heard about it. He said in the morning, we're going to put every plane we got in the air. We've got them trapped. And we'll wipe out all of the Allied troops. And my Germany will be the ruler of the whole world. Somehow somebody got word to Winston Churchill. Oh, God, for leaders like that again. I mean, leaders like that again, that's not ashamed to say we need God. And he put out a message through all the Allied troops. Get a message to your friends. Get a message to your family. Get a message as much as you can. And pray because if Hitler has his way about it, he'll annihilate all of the Allied forces on the little peninsula of Dunkirk. But that night, that night, something mysterious took place. I fly planes all the time. I, I don't fly them. I ride in them all the time. In fact, I was a little sick when I got here this afternoon. We were coming into Greensboro. Oh, we run over something. Well, I was coming back from a, a flight the other day, and that's a little girl beside me, about 25 years old. I know who she was. But I found out something. She was scared of turbulence. Boy, that thing got to jerking around. That thing got, she said, oh, God, I'm going to die. I said, oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> and evidently she sent something in me that was, gave her a piece of security or something. So next thing I know, <laughs> she's got an arm around me <laughs> in a headlock. She's got a leg thrown across mine. And I'm going, oh God, I'm going to die. I just know there's some meanie mouth Baptist that's going to take a picture of that and put it on Facebook. Boy, she stuck her face right. She said, sir, now that I'm sitting in your lap, I'll introduce myself to you. My name is Yolanda. I said, let me introduce myself to you. I'm Dr. Pastor Reverend Joe Arthur. I thought if I tell her I'm a preacher, she'll get out of my face and slide over. I'm saying, I'm Dr. Pastor, Reverend Evangelist, Joe Arthur. She said, praise the Lord, I just love preachers. Boy, here we go. <laughs> Woo! Finally, it calms down and she slides over. She said, sir, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna warn you. If it gets bad, I'm coming back. It did, and she did. Finally, we landed in Charlotte, North Carolina. She said, sir, I'm so sorry. I said, I kind of enjoyed it, baby. Say amen right there. Well, I'll tell you, I've flown in bad weather, wind, rain, but there's one thing, there's one thing that I put a plane on the ground every time. 
And that's intense, thick fog. And that night, when the Allied troops and their families, and by the way, they didn't get a hold of Confucius. They didn't get a hold of Muhammad. They got a hold of Jehovah God. Mysteriously, thick fog rolled all over Germany and they couldn't get one plane off the ground. And for three days, the fog wouldn't lift. And that gave our people enough time to commandeer every private and merchant ship and battleship and got our boys off of the peninsula. And finally when the fog lifted, one of old Hitler's subordinate generals said, it's too late, they already gone. Now if you Google that, the modern version said there was a miscommunication between Hitler and one of his men. Let me tell you what that miscommunication was from his heart to the mind of God. Because God had a plan for the allies. I'm about to enjoy my own preaching right there. And God had a plan for America. And I'm going to tell you God that night. Winston Churchill wasn't enough. And the armies of England wasn't enough. And the armies of America wasn't enough. But there is a God, hallelujah. Woo! Who's present, who is real, who is holy, that intervened and saved our nation. And the God that did it then is the God that can do it tonight. It's a prayer that saved a nation. And let me ask you in closing tonight, if God can hear the prayer of a man standing on the outside with no God on the inside, how much more? Have we got anybody in this room tonight that's been saved, born again, regenerated, and redeemed, and hell moved out, and the Holy Ghost moved in? Wave at me! Well, guess what? You're not on the outside. You're on the inside. And guess what? God's inside of you. How much more tonight? And here it is, and I'm done. Do you love America? Do you love your city? Do you love your community? You love these little boys and girls sitting here tonight? Do you love the little children in America? Do you love them enough to do like Hezekiah and pray a prayer that'll save a nation? Do you love our heritage? Do you love our legacy? Do you love what our forefathers has left to us enough to get on an altar? can hang your prayer on the mercy of God and pray a prayer that'll save a nation. Do you believe tonight if God did it for Hezekiah, he can do it for us right here in this room. Let's stand together, our Lord Jesus, we love you tonight. And I'm glad, Lord, you have no respect or person. And Lord, I'm glad the God that Hezekiah got a hold of we can touch that same God in this room tonight. And Lord, the God that intervened on his behalf is the same God that can intervene on our behalf tonight. God, we need you tonight like we've never needed you before. We love you and we cast ourselves on your mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray.